Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and go over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount here just to get things kicked off as we continue in our series called Moving Forward. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something pretty profound to the people of his day because all of the religious leaders are accusing Jesus of actually combating and coming against all the things that they've been teaching. And they're making all of these accusations like Jesus doesn't follow the law the way we teach the law. So he's not uh, legitimate. And they're trying to delegitimize Jesus at like every single turn, every opportunity they can get. And so Jesus addresses this, but not in the way that you would think. And so here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. He says to everyone that was listening there, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. And so he's telling them all the things that have been written in the law and all the things that we've read about from all of the prophets of old, I haven't come to abolish that. So all of these things that you're seeing that I'm doing that may be different than what you're accustomed to or the things that the religious leaders have told you. He said, don't think I came away, came here to do away with the law or the prophets. He said this, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away from, pass from the law unto... Uh, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to those of old. You shall not commit murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you that you'll never get out until you paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And you're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, what are you you talking about here? Because he's like taking this to the next level. He's saying to these people, listen, It's like, you think I've come to like do away with this or like modify it or change it. I haven't come to change it. 
And he's saying, what I've come to do actually is the opposite. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to bring clarity to it. And then he uses several examples here that he goes through of things that they've been taught and understood a certain way. He goes on to give four more examples after the two that we just read. He gives murder and lust. And then he gives four more examples of how the religious leaders of his day had been misrepresenting the law of God. They had divided the law into light and weighty laws. And they had really made things difficult for the people because they had added all of these things to the law to make themselves look good. So they put themselves in a position where they could do these things and they could fulfill these things. And then they were basically telling the people, be like us because we're the ones who are getting it right. And they further were burdening the people by saying, these are the, the, the things that we're doing. Look upon us and look at what we're accomplishing and look at how good we are and how holy and how righteous we are. And then there's these other light commands and Jesus like brings clarity to all of it. And he's saying, listen, there, there, there's, there's no light or, or weighty commands. He's trying to help them to see the heart behind this issue of the law and the prophets. Jesus was bringing clarity to everything in that and bringing clarity to the law. But in doing so, in bringing clarity to it, he messed with people's comfort. He messed with their position. He messed with their tradition. And this is what Jesus does. He, he was bringing clarity to what really mattered. And here's what he was trying to accomplish. He was drilling it down to the heart level. He was trying to get to the people's hearts because he was letting them know, listen, you've heard it said, but I say like the real issue isn't just staying away from adultery. The real issue isn't just staying away from murder. It's those intents of the heart that you allow yourself to get sucked into. Those things are the things that actually the law is trying to reveal, the things that it's trying to deal with. It's trying to get down to the heart level. So Jesus said, I haven't come to do away with these different laws and the things a prophet has said, I've come to bring clarity on it because you think that adherence is enough. We think that just doing it and just following the rules is enough. And that's where people get this idea that somehow it's all about rules and all this rigidity that comes with all of the rules. And whoever can follow the rules the best, well, God likes them, right? And if you don't follow the rules, well, God doesn't like you very much. And that's what some people think. And it turns them off to following Jesus. And it turns them off to this idea of Christianity because they look at it as just rules. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This, this isn't just about all of these rules and all these things you're following. But then at the same time, he was trying to also give this caveat to say, hey, but I'm saying that we're not going to add to it either or adjust to it or, or modify it or take it away. But I want you to understand that I'm trying to bring clarity to this because I'm looking at the heart. Jesus brings it down to the level of saying, hey, if you have this anger towards your brother that, man, you wish this guy was dead, you, you're, you're basically committing murder, right, in your heart. And so I'm trying to get to the core of the issue, not just the act, not just the behavior. This isn't behavior modification that we're teaching. Jesus is trying to drill it down to what really matters, that motive, that heart, that place that he's trying to get to and shine that light upon. He's talking about lust in the same instance. It's not just, don't commit adultery and you're fine. No, no, no. He's saying, no, don't even lust after another woman because that's like the same thing as you doing that act physically because it's down to the heart level. And he goes through several other examples to do that. But the reason that he brings clarity to things is he wants to show us something. He wants to show us what really matters. 
Because every one of us can get swept up and can get caught up in thinking that we're good enough, we're doing good, and we hit the cruise control in our relationship with Jesus. We hit cruise control in our life in the church and what we believe God has called us to do, and we love to get comfortable. It's like that's what we're always looking for. Even sitting in our seats this morning, right? We're always looking for a place like that's comfortable, right? I'm trying to find that right position. You know, I'm trying to always get comfortable, and it seems we're always on a pursuit of comfort, and people are always coming out with like new gadgets and new things that's always making our lives more comfortable and making them easier, and all of these silly little gadgets that we can come up with, right? You probably got some of them for Christmas this year, right? (laughs) And we come up with these things because we're looking to feel better, we wanna be comfortable, and when the light gets shown upon our heart, it actually does the opposite, doesn't it? It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us vulnerable. But you see, this is where God wants us. So how do we respond when Jesus brings clarity in our lives and it challenges our pursuit of comfort? What do we do when Jesus brings clarity in our lives and it challenges our traditions and the things that we've come to know and the things we've come to accept and we're just trying to get it right and I've done it right and I've been following this way of following God and doing it right and church is supposed to be this way and this is the right way we're supposed to do it and and, and we've got it figured out and it's always great when these things happen this way and, and, and I'm comfortable with this and I like this and this is the right way to do it. What happens when Jesus starts to shine that light and bring clarity? And we start to squirm a little bit. And we start to get uncomfortable. How do we respond to that? How do we deal with that? How do we respond when Jesus brings clarity to the vision of his church and what he's called every one of us to do as a part of his church? Do we still chase after comfort or are we willing to let him bring that clarity that causes change in us? In Matthew, let's flip over to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to see another instance where Jesus brings clarity. Matthew 22 and verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. And he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, man, these are the things that really matter. Because all of this do not murder, do not commit adultery, all of these other things don't covet, all of these other things. If I'm loving God and I'm loving others well, Actually, it's going to keep me from doing those types of things. It's going to actually be that thing that should, I should lead with in my life. So it's not just about us being able to comply with a list of rules. That's not what God's looking for. God's not looking for who can comply the best, and those are the people that get the reward. No, God's after the heart. He's not looking for compliance. It's kind of the same thing when, you know, if if you're a parent or we've all been children, uh, so I'm sure if you have sibling or if you had a neighborhood friend or if you're a parent or grandparent, you've probably been in this situation where Johnny did something to Susie, right? And Susie's crying and she's upset and you go to Johnny and you're like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna tell her you're sorry. 
You're going to apologize to her. And what does Johnny always do? Inevitably. It's like he doesn't even have to be trained for this. Sorry. And then we follow up with that classic parental line. If you know it, say it. Say it like you. Say it like you mean it. Because that, and and then I don't even know how the child's supposed to correct that um, in that moment. Because they obviously didn't mean it the first time. But if we tell them to say it like they mean it, now they have the capacity to do that. Which normally, in my mind as a child, always meant just say it slower and a little louder. I'm sorry. Right? Slower and louder means I mean it, apparently. What are we trying to do? We're trying to get our child to deal with the heart issue, not just the compliance of saying, I'm sorry. Because it's one thing to get someone to comply. It's another thing to capture someone's heart where they actually want to do the thing that you're asking or requiring them to do, right? There are things at your job that you are required to do that you do not do with all of your heart, right? Every one of us have those things. But the things that we do with all of our heart in our careers are the things that will actually make us the most successful because we're pouring our heart into it. Those are the things that we get excited about, the things that we get passionate about. If it's helping someone discover something or learn something or to be able to empower other people to do something, that piece of our job, that piece of our life, man, it comes out of our heart and it's richer, it's better, it's more fulfilling. Why would we think that God would operate some other way where he just wants us to just follow the rules and comply? He doesn't. Jesus is bringing clarity to the law because Jesus is after the heart and it's the same thing true to this day that he's still after the heart and that's the greatest commandment that we love God with all of our heart because here's what loving God with all of our heart does because ultimately Jesus he's he's interested in our heart but the scary part of it is that it exposes our intentions and our agendas if we love God with all of our heart I think initially we think that that means something warm and fuzzy And it can mean something warm and fuzzy. Doesn't that feel nice? I'm going to love God with all my heart, all my soul, my little soul. I'm loving with all my might. Mm, Sing a song about it, get some goose pimples. Like, it's nice. We can love God. But really loving God, man, really loving God beyond my feelings, beyond my emotions, means that I obey him because I trust him because I know that what he wants for me is better than I, what I want for myself. It's trusting that he's good. And when I submit to him and I love him and I obey him, it's not out of compliance, but rather it's out of this loving, trusting submission because I know that what he wants is better for me. And so it exposes my intentions. It exposes my agenda and it causes me to be aware of the things in me that, man, I need to give to God because those are the things that I can hide from you, right? I can hide from my neighbor. I can hide from my friend. I can hide from my small group and my church, but I can't hide it from God. He sees it. And when I really start loving God, he wants to deal with those areas of my life. And I don't like it when he wants to deal with those areas of my life (laughs) because we get comfortable in our sin, We get comfortable in our rebellion. We get comfortable in our rhythms. 
We get comfortable nursing certain things in our life that we, we like to keep because they bring us comfort. And when God requires them of us or he challenged them or he brings a light on them and sheds a light on them, man, we, we don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. And it's this idea of, that, that people share with me. And I've been preaching the word of God for 25, 26 years. And I'll tell you, it, it's never failed. I hear people say these types of things. Oh, preacher, you stepped on my toes today, you know. And um, people move their arms like this when they talk to me, apparently. <laughs> preacher, you stepped on my toes today. And what people are saying is, you challenged me today. Well, I didn't challenge you. I'm just a guy. I'm not that great, right? It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God using the word of God that is challenging you. And here's the beautiful part of it. He's not challenging you to embarrass you. That's not the nature of God. God's not trying to embarrass you. God's not trying to load up a bunch of shame on you and a bunch of guilt on you. What he's trying to do is bring you to a place of repentance so you can change and move forward. He wants you to move forward. He doesn't want you to be stuck in those things. And so a lot of times we don't want to deal with the things that God is trying to bring out in our hearts. We don't like when our intentions and our agendas get exposed because, oh, got to hide, got to cover that up. I don't want anyone to see why I really showed up or why I really did this or what I really think or what I'm really after. No, God is dealing with that not to embarrass you, not to shame you. It's actually an act of love. He's trying to love you through, and it feels like embarrassment. It feels like something we want to hide. Even, even in the Garden of Eden, think about this. The first two people, when they sinned, was God trying to embarrass them? Was God trying to beat them over the head? Was he trying to just make their lives miserable? No, they had sinned, and God had already laid out. There were consequences. He was looking for them, but what were they trying to do? Same thing you and I try to do, hide. And then in their own efforts, they tried to cover themselves up because they were ashamed because they had been exposed. And they saw things in a way they had never seen things before and it brought shame upon them. They saw something that once was pure and holy when they were able to look at one another without any clothing on, but now they're ashamed of it. And they're thinking, oh no, I've got to cover this up. And that's what we try to do. We try to cover up those things that we struggle with. We try to cover up those things God's trying to deal with our heart on. Because, oh my goodness, I don't want anyone to know. I don't want other people to know. And so we cover all of these things up. And God's not trying to embarrass you, friend. God's not trying to bring shame to you. That's not what he does because we can be confident in this. Because Romans 8 and 1 says, There's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So he's not trying to condemn you. He's trying to love you through it. And if you'll receive it as an act of love, when you feel like the preacher's stepping on your toes or when maybe you read that word and it brings a heaviness to your heart, just sit in that for a little bit because it's good for you. Don't run away from that. Embrace that. And then here's the best part that I think that we so many times miss out on as Christ followers. We need to ask God, what am I supposed to do with this? Because I don't want us as a church to keep gathering together and coming to this point of conviction over and over again and there's no follow through or action on our part. Amen. It's great that you felt a feeling, that you felt conviction. It's great that you felt inspiration. It's great that you felt motivated. I don't know, whatever it is, but if you keep coming to that place over and over again without any action, you're gonna get calloused over in your heart to the things of the spirit of God that he's trying to do in you. 
And when he wants to deal with you, it's got to be broken, all that callous, all of that ignoring the voice of God, because you'll get accustomed to ignoring that. And yeah, you may feel a little bit. Yeah, you may think a little bit. Yeah, you may try to discern a little bit. But, ah, you know, when you walk out of the doors, you're more concerned about what are we going to have for lunch. Rather than what's God doing in me, maybe I need to sit in that. Maybe I need to marinate in that until I have an answer of what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with what you're doing in my heart, God? Because it's not just to give you feelings. Amen, church? It's because he's trying to bring us to change. And if we're humble, we will willingly look honestly in the mirror and say, God, what about me are you trying to clarify so that I can change? Because if we're prideful, we're going to make excuses and we're going to blame other people. We're going to constantly be blaming others. And we're going to be pointing our fingers all the other directions instead of looking in the mirror honestly and saying, God, what are you wanting to deal with me about? And then we'll say things to people to justify it. And this is a classic line that people use all the time, Christian and non-Christian. Well, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. And we say that like that's a good thing, like that makes us okay. Friend, that is a scary statement. Because that means all the things that you try to expertly hide from other people, God knows. We're like, well, God knows my heart. In other words, what we're saying is back off. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to deal with this, this change or this challenge. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and he knows all the ugliness and all the things. And he's not trying to cause you embarrassment. He's not trying to cause you shame. Remember that always. We should understand that he knows us and he loves us and he cuts to the heart because he loves us and he wants us to grow to trust him more. He wants us to stop trying to do things our way and demanding our way. He wants us to trust that his way truly is better. And loving God with all of our hearts, it will correct unhealthy habits in our lives. Loving God with all of our hearts will correct unhealthy habits in our lives. So in other words, if we struggle with gossip, if we struggle with negativity, if we're slanderous or if we're addicted to something or if we're liars and thieves or abusers or we're blaming others for why we want things a certain way in our lives or why things are the way they are in our lives, the answer to all of that is loving God with all of our heart. And I know that sounds overtly simple, but can I tell you that when you begin to love God with all of your heart, it begins to change something in you. It begins to change me having to be right all of the time because I'm submitted to his truth. And when I love God and I find more about God through his word and I'm pursuing him to love him more, to know him more, he's constantly working on my heart and it's going to bring out the right types of thinking. It's going to bring out the right types of speaking out of my life. This is why Jesus said, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. A lot of times we just try to discipline ourselves to be people who are speaking positive and right things. Well, you're not gonna speak positive and right things if positive and right things aren't in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what are you tanking up on? What are you filling up on? Those things are going to come out. So evaluate. Listen to yourself. What types of words am I speaking? Am I speaking life? Because scripture says life and death are in the power of the tongue and those that love it are going to eat the fruit of it. So am I speaking things that are helping to renew my mind to think in line with the word of God? 
as he is leading me in this journey of sanctification, as he's leading me down this pathway of repentance, and as I'm beginning to live in this life in a way where I'm beginning to glorify God more and more through the way that I'm able to embrace this new creation life that he's called me to, and not carry on the past and being able to move forward and let go of things. Instead of carrying around all these weights, carrying around all this baggage, I'm able to truly learn what it means to walk in the freedom that Christ gives because I'm putting the things of God in my heart and I'm putting the things of God in my mind and then the things of God begin to come out of my mouth and it begins to change my perspective of how I deal with things in life. It begins with when, when I begin to go through a difficult time or when I begin to go through a period of suffering, I can count it all joy. I can remember the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. And I can be anchored and grounded in something. And, and I'm speaking the things of God in that situation, even though what I'm going through, God may be leading me in a very difficult season. I can still trust he's good because I'm filling my heart with and reminding myself that he is good. And I'm reminding myself of the things that I need to cling to. Amen? Amen. This is what he's called us to do, church. The answer is loving God with all of our hearts. So here's our big idea for today. Clarification at the heart level requires us to embrace change that God desires to bring in our lives for his glory. Clarification at the heart level. And that's what we're asking for. That's what we're seeking. That's what we want. The very thing that Jesus did to those that would oppose him and would accuse him of somehow not following the law. And Jesus stands up and says, actually, I know you think I've come to do away with this, but I haven't. And the reason they thought he had come to do away with it was because they were hearing things in a way they hadn't quite heard it before. Because when we hear something different or we see something different, we think different is the enemy. And Jesus was saying, no, just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. Just because it's different doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's different because I'm actually bringing clarification to what you're supposed to do and what you need to do. So, so many times I think that in church we get so easily offended that Christian people want to reject anything that is different. Christian people want to reject anything that may challenge them because we're seeking the same thing everyone else is seeking. We're seeking comfort. But church, can I tell you that we need to be a people who says, God, we want you to lead us. Amen? We want to trust in your guiding hand, in your Holy Spirit, that the footsteps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord, that we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, that we lean not to our own understanding, but we acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he does what? He directs our path. Amen? Amen. It's us being led and guided by him as he's dealing with our hearts. Because I can't try harder to stop lusting on my own. I can't try harder to stop being angry with people on my own. I'm going to make up my mind New Year's resolution. I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with lust anymore. I'm not going to deal with any of these challenges or temptations that may be in front of me. You know, we're, trying, we're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to will ourselves into something. We're trying to make it happen within our own ability and our own desire and our own will and our own strength. And Jesus never asked us to do that. What I need is I need for Jesus to change my heart towards what I'm lusting after or what I'm angry towards. That's what needs to change. 
not my ability to discipline myself, not my ability to overcome the anger on my own, not the ability for me to overcome the lust on my own. No, what needs to change is my heart because that's where all of these decisions I'm making are coming from anyways. That's where all these desires are being influenced by anyways. It's all from my heart. Someone said one time, it was kind of shocking to me. They were speaking to a group of men and they said, men, the reason a lot of you struggle with lust is because you love it too much. Hmm. I don't like that because that exposes something. And what is he saying? Something's got a hold of your heart more than what God has a hold of your heart. Hmm. Because all this is coming out of my heart. It's not, it's not a discipline issue. It's a heart issue, and that's what Jesus was trying to bring clarity to. I need Jesus to change those things. I need to love him more than I love that thing. I need to want what he wants, and I need to love what he loves, and I need to hate what he hates. And if you love what God loves and you begin to hate pornography or you begin to hate lust, instead of drifting towards it when you feel entitled to it or tempted by it, you're going to recognize, I'm I'm going to choose to love God more in this moment of temptation, of frailty, of weakness, and I'm gonna instead deflect to loving God more in this moment, instead of deflecting to what's been comfortable or what I feel entitled to or feel that I deserved or have justified in some way. And I can redirect my heart because it is a heart issue, not a behavioral issue for you to master. Man, it's, people are trying so much in our day and age to drill things down to the neuroscience of things to, to the nth degree because they're trying to fix what's broken with humanity and only Jesus can fix that. Amen. Only Jesus can fix that. Now, I appreciate modern medicine. I appreciate the efforts of things that have been done because there have been some great advances and things that are genuinely helpful. But ultimately, it's not those things that are gonna help you to live a life of being an overcomer, being victorious, or walking away from the chains of sin, that's Jesus. It's always been Jesus, and there's no other replacement for Jesus. And Jesus doesn't need anyone else's help. It's Jesus. He is enough. And if I love him more than I love my sin, more than I love my ideas about the way I think things should go, more than I love the things I think I'm entitled to, more than I love having people view me a certain way so I hide from everyone, more than I love all of those ideas that I have about the way that church should be, life should be, the way that we should be moving forward, all those things, when I submit that and I lay that down, man, that's when I begin to have my desires and God's desires begin to line up because that takes humility, amen? Amen. It takes humility saying, I don't have all the answers and I'm not the smartest guy in the room and I need to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. I've always said it this way, that any time that God confronts us with change in our lives or any time you decide to make a change of any kind, the next step after change is introduced, there's always conflict that follows. So we would be ignorant to think that we somehow are going to avoid conflict simply because we're wanting to embark upon making a change, because we're wanting to grow, because we're wanting to line up with the will of God and what he wants us to do. There's always conflict, and you know where the conflict comes from. 
comes from my heart. <laughs> That's the whole point. That's the whole issue. Because there's a tug of war going on. There's a wrestling match going on. Because I'm comfortable. Because I've grown to like certain things. I've grown to accept and, 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 and want certain things. And now I'm being asked to change something. But I will say this. When we change and we meet that conflict, if we keep pressing forward, if we keep moving forward through the conflict, there's always growth, always, every single time. It may not be growth in the way you want it. It may not be growth in the way you expected it. And it may not even turn out the way you thought it would when you embarked upon this journey and said, yes, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. But I guarantee you that if you keep moving forward through that conflict, growth will happen. It just will. In every single time, every single way. It's the pattern that we see over and over again when God shines light on something and he begins to bring clarity. And when I grow through it, I become a little wiser. I become a little more humble if I truly am following him throughout that conflict and that challenge that I go through. Change is a great thing when it's pursued for the glory of God. Amen, church? Matthew 6 and 33, it says that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things we've been worried about, all the other things we've been thinking about, all the other things that we've been consumed with, he said, those things in your life will fall into the right place that they need to fall into. They'll fall into the right order of priority. They'll be added in, 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 in the instance that, that they need to be added into your life. And so he's telling us, like, trust me. Seek my kingdom. Seek what's right in my eyes. And here's the only thing, the only way that I can have my heart line up with the things of God and true righteousness is to receive Jesus Christ. That's it. And not only to receive him as my savior, but then to take that step of making him Lord of my life, where I'm in submission to him, where I'm walking in obedience to him. We're not gathering together and assembling together as people who want to sing songs and worship, to God, worship God and be able to hear a sermon preached every single week just so we can go, man, that was, that was good quality Christian entertainment this week, don't you think? That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're trying to achieve. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. You see, we gather together and we're being changed and challenged and Every one of us are being challenged in different ways and we will continue to be challenged in different ways. And change, conflict, and growth will continue to be the cycle that we go through. And we need to just trust God through every season, amen? amen. I mean, my goodness, change costs us. There's a cost attached to change. BCC has gone through some changes and change management's difficult. We've gone through changes in our lives. Almost two years ago, my family changed and moved to Bettendorf, Iowa. That was a challenging change. And a lot of you, like you've gone through seasons, even in the life of this church, where there's been change and some of it's been welcomed and some of it hasn't been. But every time there's change, there's always that conflict. But how I position my heart, the humility that I walk through that conflict with, the unity that I pursue through that conflict in the body of Christ, the more that I lean into the word of God and let him temper my heart through the conflict, the more I'm gonna grow through it. 
and the more I'm gonna grow for the glory of God through it, amen? Because I promise you this, that where God is leading BCC, man, I'm excited because it's bigger than Sunday. It's bigger than Bettendorf. It's beyond our lifetime. It's all of the things we've been talking about and we're gonna begin to see and we're gonna begin to roll out things that are gonna help us to grow as a congregation, as a church family and to see eternity influenced, see eternity impacted. But that's gonna require something. It's gonna require that we change because if it were going to happen with the way we've always been navigating life and navigating church, then we would be doing it all the time. But I believe that what God's called us to is bigger than what we've experienced, bigger than what we've done, bigger than where we're located. And that he wants us to influence and impact eternity. Do you believe that? Because I do, I really do. But I will say this, that because we love God, and because we love one another, we will grow. We'll go through every season of change, every season of conflict, every season of challenge, every season when I have to lay down the things I've been comfortable with and pick up the things that God is calling me to embrace. We'll grow as individuals, we'll grow as families, we'll grow as a church. Last week, I left you with this and I'm gonna leave you with this again this week. I gave us four things that I want us to pray for. And I hope you've been taking this past week and you've been seriously praying for those things. And I'm gonna ask that you pray for these things as we embrace what God is doing in our church family, that we start off with humility and repentance, that we trust in him, that we embrace and pray for unity in mission, that we pray for a greater love for God and a greater love for one another that sets a righteous guard over our hearts and over our mouths. And that we pray for a greater heart for the next generation and for these cities. I love all of these things. And I get excited when I get to share these types of things with you. And I get excited when I get to get up here and say things like, what God's calling us to do, man, it's bigger than Sunday, it's bigger than Bettendorf, it's beyond our life. I love getting to say that. And I love getting to say, let's pray for all these things. But here's what I know, because it's not my first time around the block. I know that all these three things are gonna bring conflict in our hearts because God's stretching us. And I know that man, when we begin to pray for things, the enemy doesn't like the church praying for unity. You know this? Yes. We're, we're, the scripture says, don't be unaware of Satan's tactics. I don't wanna be foolish and unaware of Satan's tactics. And I know a lot of you that have been around church for a long time, you may have experienced those things before. I just want you to know that what God's calling us to do, man, is impacting eternity and it's setting up the next generation beyond your lifetime and beyond my lifetime. So I wanna pray for us and I want us to continue to pray for these four things together throughout this year so that God leads us and guides us by his Holy Spirit. Because man, I don't, I don't want us to miss it. I don't wanna miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I want us to be together in this thing. I want us to love God and love one another so well that the outside watching world says, that's different, that's authentic, that's real, that's genuine. I wanna be a part of that. So Lord, help us do that. As we get challenged, as your Holy Spirit illuminates things, brings clarity to things, 
Help us to navigate that with humility. Because, Lord, we want to be about your business. Help us to live with that type of priority and not with our own agenda. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.